Can you ever have a civilized discussion instead of arguing? Well, if not, you will be able to by the end of this show. Welcome to episode 32 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast with me, Anthony Samroff. And do I have a show for you today? The answer is yes. Yes, I do have a show for you today. And this was a riot. My guest is Chris Stefanik. He is the host of Choice Conversations podcast, a great supporter of mine. He's had me on his show very many times, and now I'm glad to have him on my show to let you in on his new guidebook, Turning Arguments into Discussions, which you can download for free from a URL soon to be disclosed. We had such a laugh, Chris and I know each other well, and we have some good rapport. I'm sure you will both laugh and get something most valuable out of it. Please enjoy episode 32 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast with me, Anthony Samroff, and Chris Stefanik of Choice Conversations. Chris, welcome to the show. Anthony, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really excited about today and your new book. Turning Arguments. Turning Arguments into Discussions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So, I guess the first thing that occurs to me is, like, isn't it good to sometimes just have a good argument and make sure you get everything off your chest and, like, you know, clean out the closet? Because otherwise, you know, we just, like, we're avoiding saying stuff to each other that we want to express. And, like, sometimes it's good. Why would someone be wrong in thinking that? Well, there's the the reason why that sounds like a good idea is because there's elements of it are, that are true. So you don't want to just be like holding things in. And if there's things that are bothering you, if your needs aren't getting met in a relationship, you don't want to just like let that slide and be like, oh, you know, Chris said that arguments aren't a good thing. And so I guess that means for the good of the relationship, I should just button up. And that's not good either. So you do want to have your needs met. You do want to have your voice heard. But there's a big difference in, you know, between sitting down with your partner and being like, honey, uh, I have something that I need to tell you about, you know, um, it kind of bothers me when this happens or whatever. And then and saying, you piece of shit, I can't believe you're always doing this, this fucking shit to me, you know, and, and, and going off on them, you know, I mean, there's, there's a huge difference there. So, oh, but isn't that a false dichotomy? I don't have to go. I don't have to swear to, um, to, you know, I don't. Uh, we can we can argue without swearing at each other. Right, right. Well, and I should say this as well that there are some people who who say like some like uh, psychologists. So like for example, John Gottman is really well known. He's done like a lot of research in the area of psychology. I know a lot of psychologists follow him because they love that his, it's not just his opinion. He's got studies of like, you know, thousands of clients and stuff that he's used to back this up and tons of observations he's made and the like, and he will say that it's okay to argue even somewhat to argue regularly, as long as that's being counteracted with a whole bunch of good interactions. Okay. So there are some that will say like, as long as you're countering with a bunch of good interactions, it's okay. I, I'm not so sure that I believe it. You know, I'm, I'm not sold yet because I, I don't see it. I see that like arguing, as far as I can tell, when it's done, you know, when it's, when it's an argument, when it's getting nasty and it's not peacefully resolved, it damages the relationship. And yes, maybe you can heal that, that damage. You can heal that wound that, that the relationship has with good interactions. But would you rather... You know, if you've got like a trail that's loaded up with brambles, walk through it, get all scratched up, and then have an ointment that you put on afterwards that relieves the, the scratching and, and heals you up after a couple of days. Would you rather have that or would you rather just go down this other trail that's to the to the left over here that's nice and clear that you don't even need the ointment afterwards? You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, to me, it seems like, okay, maybe some people this is working for them. Nobody I know that this is working for them, but apparently, you know, he's, he's seen a few more people than I have. Some people claim that they can be all right as long as they have a whole bunch more good interactions than negative. But I still think that it's, that doesn't mean that it's like necessarily good to have it. I think you'd still be better off if you had peaceful ways of getting your needs met. Okay. And I want to explore this route 
that's bramble free right. <laughs> with you in a moment. But just to make sure that I'm not letting you off the hook with anything that some people might be thinking, I'm needing to ask, some people might say, but isn't it an unrealistic expectation to have of me or of yourself to never argue? And like, if I continue try to hold myself to that standard, which for some people seems really rather impossible, is that not just going to like destroy my self-esteem and self-worth because I keep thinking like, oh, I shouldn't argue like, and yet mm -hmm. we keep on arguing. I'm obviously falling short. Like there's something wrong mm -hmm. with me or something wrong with my partner or something wrong with both of us because we can't argue. And maybe we should just get a divorce because obviously I'm in the wrong relationship if I can't get through it without arguing. Mm. So first of all, I would say it is impossible for any two human beings to spend any large amount of time with each other without having disagreements. That is for sure the truth. Now, for most people, it's also probably going to be impossible that they're going to be able to spend that time together without having arguments. You know, difference being like the argument where it's, it's, uh, the strategies are less than ideal for resolving the conflict, right? So, the, you know, the important thing to remember here is that the goal is not perfection. The goal is improvement. So if you used to argue three times a week and those arguments look like, you know, dishes were being thrown across the room and, you know, if your partner didn't duck in time, you know, they were getting bruises. And if they did duck, they're, you're, you know, it's a better alternative, but the, you, now you have some broken china. Well, that's what they get <laughs> not cleaning them before I get home. How many times have I said, I like the kitchen tidy, Chris? Right, exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, there are cases where maybe throwing some dishes is in order. Um, no, uh, there's not. But Yeah, a Greek wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but if you're arguing three times a week and, and some of those arguments are pretty nasty and you get to the point where you're arguing once every other week, and maybe it's not quite so nasty. Uh, you know, that's a big improvement. That's a huge improvement. That's you know? a huge improvement. Yeah, so, I mean, just just try to get better and, you know, re realize you're a human being and, you know, always do your best. Some days your best might look like an argument where, you know, well, you, you refrain from picking up the dish and throwing it across the room, but you still screamed at your partner. You know, you, some days you don't have as, as much resources as you do on other days. Maybe you're tired, maybe you're not feeling well, you're hungry, or whatever the case may be. Maybe a, a bunch of other people unloaded on you earlier in the day and used up all your willpower. Whatever the case may be, you don't always have all the resources that you have available. On You know, some days are more resourceful than others. So just, just recognize that, that you're your best looks different from one day to the next. And, and, and in context, your best can be a lot different. You know, it can be, you know, when you're not, don't have as many resources, your best is going to look a lot different. Yeah. Don't mess with me when I'm hungry, man. Yeah. <laughs> or, or when I've not had enough sleep. So, um, okay. I hear what you're saying and I'm looking forward to learning more. I am reminded of, uh, video that I put up on my YouTube channel called I have to assert myself again and it's like <laughs> that feeling of like right okay I've got a need or something like that and now I need to go into my relationship or a friendship and express my frustration and, and it's just so annoying like why do I even have to be put in this position mm -hmm. where I have to like figure out how to be assertive because I'm used to being like a extraordinary people pleaser. And I talk a little bit about using uh, opportunity to assert yourself or rather seeing the fact that you have to assert yourself as an opportunity to learn to be more assertive. Mm. And that's not necessarily easy, but it takes some of the pressure off because rather than see this situation as oppositional, go, well, look, this is a skill that I obviously need because if I didn't need it, then I wouldn't be like um, so annoyed about it. And that reminds me of the first section of your book, which says disagreements are opportunities. Tell us about that. Right, right. Yeah, there are, there are opportunities to grow closer to your partner. So think about... 
Really? They they are they are. So imagine okay. a scenario where maybe maybe this is like the workplace, and you've got somebody new you're working with, and you have a big project that you work with them on, and there's hurdles to get over, but you stick to it. You guys work together. You clear out all the roadblocks, and you successfully get to the end of that project. And you feel a lot better about this this work partner, you know, this your your coworker. Maybe it's a client you're working with on a project. You feel, you know, a lot closer to them by the time that project's done. Uh, I think you know most of us could probably relate to a scenario like that, where if you look at somebody that's a coworker that you uh, you really have enjoyed working with in the past, you've had scenarios like that where you've kind of the, the work has drawn you closer together, and it's not because it was all easy and lollipops and rainbows. You got drawn closer together because you had to work through some crap. You know there was some struggles in there, but you did it successfully. So it's that's one one way that's an opportunity for you to really get close to your partner as you're working through these things. You you once you've you've learned techniques for peaceful conflict resolution, rather than this being something that pushes you further apart, it actually draws you closer. And you start each time it like builds on your, your confidence in this person. It builds on your goodwill towards this person and, you know, adds like a positive history instead of a negative history. You've got a, that positive history to fall back on. And you just feel like after you've, you know, start racking up the winds that, you know, you can weather any storm because you've seen storms before and you were able to peacefully navigate them. So it really does present the opportunity for you to draw closer together. Now it also presents the opportunity and I didn't really talk about this much in the book. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's really more of like a handbook. It's, it's a, than, than like a book when people are thinking like a massive tome of relationship wisdom, you know, it's, it's a handbook to help teach you the strategy to walk through a disagreement without it becoming an argument. But the, the other opportunity is there's one then there for personal growth as well. You can each grow as individuals. Like you were saying, working on your skills for a, assertion for getting your needs met you know for communication there there are many things you can do on a personal level as well as working through some of your own garbage that you bring to the relationship from your history like things like from your childhood like your your spouse is triggering you because they're doing something that that your your father used to do or something like that you know what i mean it gives you an opportunity to do some house cleaning look at hmm i didn't realize i was still carrying that around what, what do I want to do about that? Or the worst thing ever where you hear something escape your mouth that sounds like something one of your parents would say when they were arguing, mm. no, <laughs> don't make me like them. Right, exactly. Yep. <laughs> right. And that's, that's um, you've not individuated at that point. You're carrying something from that belongs to someone else. Mm. Mm. And you're they modeled that to you and it's got messed up somewhere in your program the program gets flicked off and you hear yourself speaking in a way that isn't the way that you would like to speak that ain't you mm. that's not the real you it's not conscious so yeah i like you're i like the term choice chip- hmm? I, I like the term choice you've not you've, you've you've inherited through the people around you strategies for communication you didn't choose them and mm. so with a little self-reflection with using tools like, you know, my, my book, which, uh, we can, you can find at discussions.choiceconversations.com. It gives you the ability to choose what kind of strategies you're going to have to communicate with your partner or anybody else in your life for that matter, rather than just having what was pushed upon you, you know, as a child, you're not making a choice. You don't have the, the mental capabilities yet to, to, to say, you know what, this is, mom and dad are acting in a way that I would not really prefer not to. I'm going to choose a different way. It, you know, it doesn't really work that way. You know, as you're growing, you kind of absorb things from your surrounding. You internalize the people around you. But here's your chance to choose what you want your life to be like going forward rather than having life just happen to you. Okay, well, you're at the dangerous risk of convincing me. So we'll have to. <laughs> delve deeper into this concept so okay what you're telling me is that arguments are a suboptimal way of communicating needs if i may be so 
presumptuous as to paraphrase. Um, so if that's the case, what causes arguments? Why isn't everyone doing this? Right, right. So as far as I can tell, an argument happens when somebody in the, in the, in the, in the partnership, somebody in the couple gets triggered. And then their their triggering then causes the other person to get triggered. So when I say triggered, what I mean is basically a strong emotional response that disables the person from responding in a way that is healthy, from a way that they would choose if they weren't being triggered at that moment. Like you mean something uh, that you'll regret saying later. Right, right. Like, yeah, you know what? I probably shouldn't have thrown those dishes across the room. I probably shouldn't have called them an asshole, whatever it is. You know, those are anger. But there's other ones, too, like using, you know, sarcasm or using even like passive aggression and things like this. There's there's all kinds. It can look different with these strategies, you know, and I've I've been focusing in on the over the top anger, which, you know, is not kind of giving the full breadth of what arguments can look like. But but yeah. But yeah. Okay, sarcasm. Or passive aggression. That's great, Chris. Yeah. yeah. That's just great. That's that's fantastic. Why don't you say more about that? Yeah. I'm sure my listeners will really love that. Yeah. Fuck you, Anthony. <laughs> whoa, whoa. That's overzealous yeah. anger you're using. The wrong strategy. Yep, yep. So let's hear a little bit about your vision. Like, okay, so... What is what? What should we do instead of getting triggered? Right. Well, the the important thing is to realize that you know you're you're going to get triggered, but it's, it's to stop, is to recognize that you're triggered, or recognize that your partner is triggered, and to not continue. That's okay. the key component to this whole book. If you could like sum up the strategy. In one sentence, it would be recognize you're triggered and stop. You know, do not, when you're triggered, do not try to resolve the conflict. So that's, that's the first thing. And it's, it's hard because once that angry part of you takes over or that, you know, that, uh, that biting sarcastic part or whatever part it is, it's, it's real easy to just like the trains off the rails, you know, the, the, the the brakes have been cut and the car is rolling down the, the the hillside towards the cliff. You know what I mean? It's like it's just really easy to just let it go. It's 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 hard to break that pattern of the brain and, and put a stop in there. And say, wait, no, time out. I've seen this before. Oh, okay, I'm not going to continue to go this way. But like the problem is, like, see, when you're in that state, you really want to just like have some kind of social engagement like whether it's like you want someone to hug you or you want to scream at them or like because see when say i go stop and i go into my room like people just feel like i'm bursting i'm like what i can't do anything with this like emotional ball Mm, mm. you know it's so huge and like i'm Chuck, I, I'm chucking all this stuff out because I think these are the important considerations. Like the difficulty that most people have of processing their emotions on their own leads them. Like I remember once having a conflict with my mum, right? And she had a guest over, so she refused to talk about it. So I went into another room and for like, a couple of this is going back a few years for a couple of hours like i just felt like she was such a horrible person because she basically had the key to me not feeling crap if mm. she would just take a couple of minutes oh, wow. to listen to me yeah and i had to just like sit with that emotion now i'm glad to say that i've developed over the last few years and my capacity to process my emotions on my own have increased a lot but a lot of people are earlier on in their process. And so before we go on with the big picture of turning arguments into discussions, can you speak a little bit to that? Right, right. So it is difficult, you know, especially if you don't have any skills, because, because I mean, we're just, 
in general, we're not taught this. You know, we're definitely not taught it in school. Um, probably 95, 99. I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass, but I know it's a really freaking high number. Whatever the number is, it's high. Uh, households, parents do not teach their children these methods. We're not taught how to deal with our emotions. How do we go through this process? That's true. And I'm not just saying, well, just don't argue when you're triggered, separate from your partner. And then when you're not triggered, go back. No, I mean, there's, I have a a number of strategies you can use to process your emotions when you separate from them. And you can find them on Chris's great podcast, Choice Conversations, (laughs) which is available on iTunes. Exactly. Go on. So, yeah, I mean, so there's all these, there's these strategies and, and I, you know, I go over them in the, in the book, I go over them, uh, you know, I give you what various ones, there's definitely more than one way to, to skin this cat. And, and that's the thing. Uh, but I mean, the, it all starts up front, which is, but we definitely are, we are definitely going to get into an argument if you skin the cat, man, <laughs> that's just out of order. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure where that one came from in the English language, but, uh. I sometimes wonder when people are translating these into foreign languages, you know, like I had a podcast that was translated into Chinese, you know, I'm like, what did I say something like skin the cat? And are they thinking, wow, this Christophonic guy is a heinous, evil bastard. You know, I'm like, <laughs> right, uh, right. I mean, when people say this with one stone, it's like, why the hell would you want to do right, that? Exactly. I fear we digress. I feel very familiar with you, Chris. So these uh, these uh, these diversions are uh, quite common, but hopefully those listening at home will enjoy our rapport. So there's more than so there's more than one way to process your emotions on your own, and that's maybe a topic for another show but I definitely know that one thing is great for me is journaling Mm, Uh, another thing I mean if you're really brave you could have a friend that you phone up and say yo I'm just having an argument with the spouse and I need to cool off and I need someone to talk to Uh, I don't really need any advice at the moment or anything like that but I just need to get this off my chest so that I calm down and I can go and speak to them right yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have that kind of friend, friendship with someone, yeah. I mean, just unloading. It's amazing if you just say, you know, I just need to vent, and I don't really need advice right now because you know people are so wonderful. Yeah, I don't want to vent at her because if I vent at her, right, it'll just get worse. Right, you right. know, she doesn't need to hear this, but I do need. I, I I could use some some venting. Yeah, well, she's too close to the situation. It's too personal because you're venting about them, so they're not going to be able to take yeah. it and just listen without a lot of self-awareness and, you know, a lot of, of skill in this area of being able to separate that, you know, you, some people can, if you, tr- you, uh, but yeah, in general, you want to go vent to somebody else, but there, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, even just things like sometimes you just need to do something else. You just need an activity, like go for a walk, Good exercise is really great at relieving stress. Mm-hmm. Do some, get some chores, be productive, you know, be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to do some dishes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn on some music, put some headphones on and do some dishes and time will do a lot to bring you down from that place where I know in that moment you're like, this is the most important thing in the world and I cannot let this injustice go, you know, without someone being called to the carpet for this. That's what it feels like in that moment when those emotions are really high. But if you just step back, if you just break the pattern that has been locked into your brain, it's just been hardwired into there. And it, it really, you come down surprisingly fast. If you find, well, if, assuming you're not just like what you were talking about when you were a child, you don't have a strategy to, to deal with it. And then you're just sitting there stewing on it. In some cases you don't come down at all for a long time, you know, and, and you could even like get more riled up. But if you have strategies for coming down, it can be really, really fast. Actually, it can be just a, a couple breaths. You know, if you have a, a breathing exercise can, can bring you back down. Okay, well, what if my partner is the one that's triggered? Mm, mm. Yeah, I would say at that point that I, that would, I would also stop. So this might require... What if they don't want to stop? So what I would say to the person is I would say, you know, I, I love you too much to continue this discussion right now. Um, I care about the relationship too much. It's too important to me. That and I don't want it to be damaged. I know right now you're really wanting to have this this uh, 
you know, this is really important to you and you really want to talk about this right now, but it's not as important as our relationship. So I, I you know, I want you, I, I care about you and that's why we're going to separate now and we'll come back and we'll look at your concerns when we all feel a little more calm. Well, if you really cared, then you'd listen to what I have to say. Right. I mean, you just, you just have to put your foot down and then be like, look, uh, I'll be back, you know, and, and you said, and what you want to do is you want to make sure, and this is, I go over the steps in my handbook. You don't want to just be like, leave the room and not tell them that you're going to come back and address this because then they can actually feel like they're abandoned or look, Oh, just walk away. Just walk away, Anthony. Right. Just like you always do. Just walk away. You know, you want to make sure you're like, and have it like a time, a fixed time. You're going to come back. So I recommend like 10 or 20 minutes. Um, but, but say, look, We'll come back and we'll look at this in, in in ten minutes, and you know if we're in a better place, then a more resourceful place to make some progress on this issue, then we'll handle it then. And so then you set a timer, you leave, you come back, and if there, it's clear that you like you're still triggered, then what you what you do is you come back and you say you know if you're not ready yet, you tell them, look, I'm really not ready yet, so I'm going to give my you know whatever the time was, double it. So if it was ten minutes. Say, I'm going to give myself another 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, oh, you know, I'm still not ready. I'm going to give myself another 40. If you are ready, if you feel like you're ready, then you ask your partner, I'm ready to talk about this now. Are you, are you ready? And if they're not, say, okay, that's fine. And, and then you just double the time and you keep going out. And because of, of the accumulation of time, this might be like two or three years later. <laughs> it's exponential growth. So... Actually, sometimes I find that it's not necessarily a bad thing to speak about a conflict a couple of days later. There are times where that is like totally okay because see, when you've got the perspective on it, um, you 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 bring that perspective. Like I've had this vision of myself like processing as even over days or weeks or months, depending on what the situation is, it might not necessarily be an argument. It could be a life event. I've gone through so many emotions and views on that event that I can look back. This is what I thought about it when I was sad. This is what I thought about it when I was angry. This is what I thought about it when I was happy. This is, And each of those different views is like a camera looking at the same situation from a different angle. So those different angles are like my advisors. They're like my council of advisors, which each has uh, something to contribute to how I want to move forward on that situation. And um, that could be useful, you know, a little bit of perspective. So hopefully it doesn't take that long if it's something that's important and urgent. But even you can, you can make use my experience is you can make use of the things that you were thinking when you were in a poorer state when you're in a better state like um as long as you don't communicate it in the voice that you would have when you were feeling angry or vulnerable or or whatever the thing is you can still say those things but you can say them more well i was thinking that i I was thinking this you know in a more calm adult voice and even though the words are the same the energy behind it doesn't introject into the other person and cause further triggering for them because you're holding your energy to yourself and you're communicating from that centeredness and that's a very powerful thing to do and something that i've mostly learned in the last couple of years Mm. and seen positive effects from yeah yeah that's actually a variant of that is one of the strategies i strategies i have for what do you do after you're not triggered anymore and you get back with your partner and one of them is you you tell them what you, you know, what you were thinking before when you were, you know, when you were going crazy, when you had that, that emotional part of you had grabbed the wheel and you were about to drive off a cliff, but you stopped yourself. And the, what I like with the words I use is you say the story I was telling myself back when we were, you know, when I was really angry about this or back when, you know, when we were talking about this earlier, the story I was telling myself was X and framing it that way with those words is you can now First, for yourself, you realize that you were telling yourself just a story. 
And honestly, pretty much like, I'm all, you know, the majority of what's going on in our brains is just story. It's not actual reality. It's just a story we're telling ourselves. And then you also, you're letting your partner know, Hey, I'm not saying this is true. I'm just saying this is what the story I was, was telling myself. This is, could be all story. Probably is just all story. So like, don't take it personally. It's just with the story. And then the other thing that it adds to it is, you know, there's this whole thing that a lot of people talk about, which is, you know, when you get into a dispute or something, be forward looking instead of backwards looking, talk about solutions rather than problems, you know, rather than rehashing what they did wrong, talk about what you want to see going forward, you know, talk about the future, not the past. And that's re- it is really good advice. It is. But some people, they can't get, they can't move forward unless they do talk about that piece in the past. They need that in order to close out, to let that person know what their story was. Mm. A lot of people just they they're not able to successfully move on without doing that. So this this provides that opportunity. So again, that's in that's that's in the handbook talking about this this particular strategy. You know, the story I was telling myself was, and you can find that at discussions.choiceconversations.com. But for all of you who are like, well, screw it, I might as well just go read the the, the handbook and stop listening to this podcast. Let me give you a little something that's not in there that you made me think of when you said that, you know, there can be, hold on one second. All right. Sorry about that. When you said that there would be value in looking at an argument a few days later that you didn't have to dress it on the spot. You could wait a few days. And this is something I call it the Harry Truman method. So what Harry Truman used to do, a president of the United States back in the 20th century, not a nice guy, but uh, he did leave us with this one tactic, which, you know, is uh, better than nothing, I guess. What he would do is, you know, he as, as the leader of a nation and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff coming at him, like, regularly, there would be, like, basically every day there would be crises. People come to him and be like, oh, my God, this guy is falling. You know, Mr. President, here's this. He would take all those kind of things that were happening, he would write them down on a sheet of paper, and he would stick them in a desk drawer. And he would close the desk drawer. And at the end of the week, he would open that desk drawer and he would go through them. And he, anything that was still an emergency, anything that was still a problem, he would then deal with it. But what he found was that with some the passage of time, three-fourths or higher, five-sixths, whatever the fraction you really like here, it was a high number, were not even issues anymore. He's like, you know what? This resolved itself. I don't even need to worry about it anymore. What do I care? You know, yeah, that sounded so important at that moment. Like it was the biggest thing in the world. It's not even an issue now. And I've done this myself. And when when I would have issues like with my spouse, for example, write it down. Well, and, and what you need to do is because in the moment you're like really like seething, right? And you're like, it's driving you crazy. So what you can do to get that out of your head is you can just journal about it and let, let it all go. Vent, vent every little bit out of, you know, anger, whatever you have in there, get it all out on the paper and you feel, you know, it's, it's cathartic to do that and, and you feel yourself release and relax, your shoulders drop, your muscles, you know, the, the tension leaves them, whatever. And you can go about it and not be like super angry at your partner. And then you, you say, okay, well, I'll go back and look at that in, in a few days. And when you go back and look, you're like, oh yeah, this is not, I don't even need to have this discussion with my partner. I, it's not an issue anymore. Like I, I was amazed at how many things in there just did not even need to be brought up anymore how many arguments were completely avoided because it really just wasn't even an, an issue. I'm like, you know, in this way I could focus in on the ones that were important rather than using up all the goodwill in the relationship. You know, your, your relationship yeah. only has room for so much of this, yeah. you know, it's like, this. you don't always want to be working on your relationship because as I've said before, a relationship is like a garden. If you, if all you do is like, take out the trash and rake up the leaves and pull weeds you know you start to hate your garden and some people get into communication skills or relationship stuff and they feel like they always need to be working on their relationship but that's not it you sometimes work on your relationship but your relationship should be full of not working on it but enjoying it Mm, right right so what this means is you know say you you've got five things in that drawer at the end of the week you look at them, you're like, okay, this one is really important. The other ones aren't really that important. Some of them aren't aren't important at all. You're then, 
you're you have you're coming to your partner full of your resources they've not been depleted by all these little arguments all week long to work on the most important one you know and then you can address that most important one and and not have you know and make sure it gets taken care of rather than if the the other way if you've already had four arguments by the time you get to the fifth one and that was like the most important one there you know at that point like you there's nothing left in the tank right you've like You've drained yourself. You and your partner are both physically tired, emotionally yeah, tired. Yeah, because you feel every single criticism has to be voiced. Right, right. So Yeah, and by the way, people don't exist to not piss you off. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. You're, and like there's this um, winded part of us, each of us is like um, a child whose needs haven't been met. And there's an outrage there. How dare the world not conform to be exactly the way that I wanted to at all times? Mm, mm, right, right. And well, and here's, here's this thing too, right. like going back to like the John Gottman and that it's okay to have arguments as long as the number of good interactions is a much larger number than, than, than the ones that are, uh, you know, negative interactions. And, this is a way to help get there. If it's a lot easier to have the number of good interactions be larger than the number of poor interactions. I hate to use the words good and bad. It makes it sound like evil or, you know, not evil sort of thing, virtuous. But I think you understand the shorthand for, you know, what, what it is. I think people understand what we're talking about. I'm not making moral judgments. Sure. Uh, And I would just, so please go on. I was just going to say that, you know, it's a lot easier to have that number of good interactions be higher when, the number of you know negative interactions is only one or two a week rather than it's like every time something that displeases you, you just have to voice that, you know what I mean? And it's like multiple times a day, then it becomes a real challenge to keep that ratio of positive to negative in, you know, leaning in the direction yeah. you want it to. Yeah. And I think it's really important that's to mention that that's not to say that you swallow everything, but that in my experience if you do have a good system for being able to voice answers the tendency to outrage decreases because it's almost like see when you outrage it's like that's like emergency mode it's like your system's going right if you don't voice this now you're never going to do it but if your system can rely on you to bring up conflicts, then it doesn't so often need to give you the warning sign because it's like, okay, I can trust that Anthony's going to sit on this for a while and if it needs to be voiced, uh, you know, Anthony's going to advocate for my needs so I don't need to sound the alarm. Um, You know, you build that trust in yourself by first-hand experience, not through any conceptual learning. I mean... For example, listening to this podcast is step one. Getting Chris Stefanik's book is step two. But after that, the real work begins when you start to put some of Chris's approaches into action and get experience doing them. And the more experience you get doing them, the more you'll realize this is really a skill that needs to be learned. Mm. And regretfully, Mm. we don't get the chance to practice at school. I mean, they could create a class where people did role plays and all sorts of things and got lots and lots of experience doing, using these methods. Because as you say, when you're triggered, your ability to think on your feet is very much impaired. However, it's kind of like, practicing for a concert you know you're going to be nervous during your performance that's why you practice not just until you get it right one time when you're not informing uh, performing in front of people you practice till you don't get it wrong when you're not performing in front of people so that when you are performing in front of people it's high pressure but you've practiced so much that you know what you're doing and i guess The same has to be said for communication skills. It's like the more opportunity we can get to exercise our communication skills when we're not in a heightened state of tension, the better we'll be at exercising them when we are. We've internalized them. Right. Yeah, that's really, really sound advice. I like that. So, tell us 
give us I don't want to give the whole thing away, but let's have some more teasers about the Stefanic method for turning discussions sorry. Turning, I'm sure there's a Stefanic me- method for turning discussions into arguments as well. Right. But, but that's for the next book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for that, for that, for this book, turning arguments into discussions. Tell us a little bit about the process. Right. Well, I think a good thing that people will really see the the value in is looking at what you're not supposed to do when you come back. So that's one. I have one whole section on what not to do before I get into what you should do. Because this, I think, will ring true for people, and then you'll know you'll be like, "Oh, yeah, okay, I see. That was really not a good way of doing this, right?" So I'm a huge Terry Real fan. He's got this book, "The New Rules of Marriage," and Terry Real he talks about there's the uh, the five method, the five losing strategies. Basically, they're called the five losing strategies. So the first one is the need to be right. So I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this, but just think about when you're arguing with somebody, how much of it is you're trying to show them how wrong they are and how right you are. This is, but I am Chris, but I am. I know, but it's the thing is when you're in a relationship, it's not about being right or wrong. You know, it's about, I mean, that's the thing why this is so tantalizing is because often your partner is wrong, you know? Okay. And so you're like, God damn it. You want to let them know just how wrong they are. But, you know, I've heard people say things like, you know, you can be married or you can be right. You pick one. (laughs) Right. Okay. Especially if you happen to be a man, but I don't want to get into a controversy. (laughs) Right. So... (laughs) It, it, but it, it's true, though, if you sit there and you look, and, and this is one of those where you kind of need to ask yourself, you know, what's more important, what happened in the past and showing them how wrong they are or getting the behavior corrected in the future so that, you know, it, it's, it's like, okay, say say you wanted your partner to do the, the dishes, they promised they were going to do the dishes and they didn't. Is it more important that you belittle them and show them, no, 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 you did promise, don't you remember? You promised that, wait, let me go back and check the videotape and show you how wrong you are. Is that more important, convincing them that they did, in fact, promise you? And they're saying that they didn't promise. They said they might do it. Is that more important? two things, Or is it more important that that they actually do the dishes in the future when you ask them to? You know what I mean? Okay. So what was that you were saying? Two different things there? I just, yeah. One is they didn't do the freaking dishes. And two is they broke their word. Mm, I mean, mm. and now... And now they're denying it. So that's like three strikes. Right, right. So three strikes, you're out. So, so do you, what's more important <clears throat> to show them that they didn't do the dishes, that they're and that they broke their word and punish them for that, or that in the future they do that actually do the dishes and they do keep their word and you have better understandings about that, which leads up to one of the other losing strategies, which is uh, retaliation. You know, you want to punish your partner. Because right. they did some offense to you and they deserve that. You know, another one is losing strategies, control, trying to control your partner. And people hate to be controlled. Human beings hate this. You know, it's like think of, of kids and they call it the terrible twos. Why is it the terrible twos? The terrible twos is when kids actually learn the word no. And as soon as they learn this word, they love using it. And they're like, oh, you want to control me? No. No. I mean, it's very, it's, it's very much in human nature to strive for freedom, to want freedom, and to push back on any kind of constraints against that freedom. You try to control your partner, even like as subtle as you can, they will sniff that out in a second, and then it's on. You know, it's like their defenses are up, and good luck. So, you know, that's another example, trying to control your partner, trying to trying to be right, trying to control your partner. And these strategies, when you, you know, a lot of people like will mix them together, and then you really get a, a you know, a, a nasty little batch of stuff going on there. Another one is unbridled self-expression. So this is one we've already talked about, which is just unloading on your partner, like venting to your partner, you know, and people will say, you know, but I'm just being honest. And, you know, perhaps you are being honest, you know, maybe your, your partner did something really dumb, but how useful is it to sit there and tell them how dumb they are and tell them they're an idiot? You know, is that, is that going to be your best course of action going forward? knowing that what's important 
is the relationship. What's important is, you know, getting your needs met in the future, you know, and no, it's not, it's going to damage the relationship with your partner. If you tell them they're an idiot, even if they were being an idiot, you know? So, I mean, you do need a filter, you know, yeah. if you care about your relationship, you need a filter. Now I know some people would argue with this. There's that whole, uh, radical honesty thing. Yeah. And I, I plan on reading that book at some point, but I, you know, I, maybe for some people this is working. In my experience, it's not something that's what's working. But I think even in the radical honesty thing, there is an element of um, doing what you said before, which is putting things in air quotes like, part of me feels like this and I'm mm. thinking this, mm. but I also feel like that and I'm thinking that. And uh, I think even in the scope of the concept of radical honesty, there is an acknowledgement that not everything we think is true just because we think it. Everything we think seems true when we think it, but um, these are mostly our interpretations of reality that have gone through our emotional system, which is very keen to distort reality um, for whatever reason. So, so can we just list these um, five strategies once more for anyone who wants a quick recap? Sure. So they are, the first is the need to be right. So, you know, you're right, your partner's wrong. The second is trying to control your partner. The third one is unbridled self-expression, you know, really letting them know how you feel. Fourth is retaliation. You know, my partner is wrong. Now they must pay. And the fifth, which I hadn't got to yet, but it's withdrawal. You know, this is, uh, you know, John Gottman would call this stonewalling. He's one of the things right. he's observed. But it's basically you're, you know, you're uh, not allowing the, the conversation to go forward. I mean, the most obvious one is when you physically withdraw yourself from the situation. But really anything that ends further communication Silent treatment. Right. It's stonewalling. Yes. It's withdrawal. Sounds like, um, who, who came up with these five? This is Terry Real or Terrence Real. Terry, ter, Terry Real. Sounds like he's been to my parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, right. So these are our five uh, waypoints for what not to do. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about what? to do sure sure so i mean there's good because if you didn't then <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where we're going with yeah, the rest of the show like well i there, there goes my five favorite strategies my tool belt is now empty chris thanks now i've got nothing right. <laughs> i can't i can't yeah. withdraw yeah. because i'm not allowed to do that but i can't open my mouth either because you know one of those other tools is going to come out so right yeah right so now that now that you've de-skilled us, can you reskill us? Sure. So there, there are several strategies that work. So I would say one of the first is just a mindset, which is you want to come back in holding firmly in your mind that your partner is your ally. The enemy, if you have to have an enemy, it's the issue at hand. It's not your partner. Your partner, they're an ally and they're working with you to defeat this enemy, whatever that issue is doesn't bloody feel like it yeah well i mean that's it it takes a mental practice to do that but if you if you can put yourself in that mindset and there are different ways to do that like you know in that time when you're separated you know when you're becoming untriggered you can meditate a little bit you can do some affirmations and these things can help you to focus in on your part you know your partner is your ally they're not your enemy there are things like that but when you come in just just shifting your mindset to that state can change everything. You could, you, I, I could not give you any other tools and just having that mindset, you'll respond very differently to your partner and it'll be much more healthy and the opportunity for the conflict to get resolved peacefully is much higher. So much, uh, so much of what like the conflict happens is you're seeing your partner as an enemy. You know, uh, Marshall Rosenberg wrote nonviolent communication. He talks about enemy images. We have enemy images of the person we're talking with. You're not seeing them you're seeing this creation that you've had in your mind. Again, it goes back to that story. The story you're telling yourself in your mind is this person is an enemy, and that's what you're seeing. You're not actually seeing that real person and hearing the things that are coming out of their mouth. You're just you're hearing the story that you're telling yourself. Uh, Terrence Real he calls it core negative image. 
You know, so this is something multiple people have spotted this phenomenon. They have different names for it. But it all kind of leads back to the same thing. That just kind of shows that it's, it is, in fact, common place across the, the board, you know, that, you know, all kinds of different experts have spotted this. So that's, that's one way, change your mindset coming in. Uh, you know, I just mentioned Marshall Rosenberg. Nonviolent communication is an excellent way, a methodology for communicating where you focus on the need, you remove story. The, the, the story, Mar- Marshall would call it judgment, uh, where you take the story out of it completely and you focus on your needs and your the emotions and the facts at hand and, and getting those needs met and making requests instead of demands. So that's one of the things you can do. Um, you know, Terry Real, he also has a methodology that looks kind of similar to NBC. It actually has a lot of the same components that NBC has, but it, in in some ways it's, it's maybe superior to what Marshall Rosenberg proposed because Terry Real, he, he actually has that piece that I was telling you about earlier where you say you include your story, where you say the story I was telling myself was, and then you, you tell them that, right? And like I said, for a lot of people, this makes all the difference in the world where it's like, you know, NBC, they're just, they could speak that way, and, but it's like there's a part of them just is not ready to move on and is still, still yeah. living in that past and that argument that if they can just, if they just tell their partner how they're feeling, what their story was, is then it allows them to, to, to put it behind them and move forward. So the fact that it adds that into the mix, I really like that. So that's, that's a strategy. It's like, it's, you know, like I said, it's very much like NBC for, you know, a lot of people listening to this would recognize that I've talked about it in the past, but it, it, it takes the components of NBC and adds that piece to it. Right. And I, I would say that uh, NBC does have an approach for that, uh, but it's a bit more in the advanced stuff, which is to say to use the fact, use the observation, sorry, just for anyone who needs a quick catch up, um, nonviolent communication helps you identify your judgments from your observations, emotions, needs, and requests. So there's five different things that it identifies and helps you to express those constructively. And one way would be to express your judgment as an observation. It says, don't express your judgments. Don't say, you are so selfish. You are so inconsiderate. Because that doesn't really tell someone what to do. That just tells them what not th- that you don't like them. You know, mm-hmm. you might as well say nothing. It's got no information. It's completely spe- unspecific when you call someone an a- adjective. It's just basically a hand grenade. It's looking for trouble. It may well help you emotionally vent at the moment, but it's not actually advancing the interaction. It's got no content. So rather than say something like, you're so inconsiderate, you might say something like, uh, I would like the communal area to be tidy when I get home from work. Um, that's a specific request. Now, the NVC approach to doing what you're talking about would be to say, I'm, I was thinking, or I'm thinking that, I noticed that I'm thinking, or I noticed that I'm feeling, and then, you're, then your judgments become observations. But you, you do need to be careful with it because... Um, it depends on how you express it. It might still sound like a judgment. You know, you could say, I was thinking that you're really inconsiderate and that <laughs> it, might, it might actually just come, come across the same way. So you do have to be careful. And to come back to the request component, which in my example was to say, I, I would like it if the communal area was tidy when I get home from work, is... A request is really good if you know what you want from the other person Mm, mm. because a request, which I like to define as something that you could catch on a video camera. So saying, I want you to be more considerate is not a request because it's too vague. But saying, I get home at 5.30 and I would really like the communal area to be tidy before... I get home, you could catch that on, you might have different interpretations of what tidy is. So you could be even more specific than that. I would like all of your papers to be back in the filing cabinet. That's even more specific. So something that you can catch on video camera. Now, we don't always have the presence of mind to be able to form a specific request, but 
it's good if you can. And the the analogy that I the metaphor that I came up with to express that is you don't want to give someone a half baked cake, right? Most people, as we've discussed, don't have excellent communication skills. They think they've got good communication skills because they can ask you to pass the salt and they they get through life with them. But this is really about emotional maturity and becoming an adult and giving people information that they can do something with to help you meet your needs. It's about you being responsible for yourself. This isn't just to be nice and to help other people. It's in your interests. So I call that, you know, the dumping on someone else. I say, like, don't give someone a half-baked cake, right? Mm -hmm. Don't give them, like, this whisk and some eggs and some flour, which is, like, your your jumbled up emotions, judgments, observations, uh, feelings, needs, uh, probably no requests uh, that are actionable. Uh, like you shouldn't have left the dishes in the sink. Like what are they meant to do that? Okay, should I get in a time machine and go back, right? They can't do anything about the past, right? You don't want to give them all of that cake mix and say, could you do something with this for me because and you're you're not saying could you do something with this for me you're going do something this, for this with me like you're just throwing all the ingredients at them and they're like what the hell am i going to do with all this stuff like i don't know i don't even know like what you want me to make with it. i don't know the recipe i don't like yeah what am i meant to do with all this stuff and if you can like bake the cake a little bit you know uh you can, in fact, if you can prepare the cake, you can ask them to put put it in the oven for you. That's a very specific request. So, yeah, I'm thankful for the chance to uh, maybe develop that metaphor ad tedium. But <laughs> I think it's a very important thing to realise and um, to get people into the mindset to think about how they can start taking responsibility and become more clear so that they can... Um, make their disagreements less argumentative. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, making requests, I, one of the, is something that I talk about in the handbook. I, I kind of put it as like looking at being, looking at the future, not the past. Let's talk about, to only let's only talk about the future. Don't talk about the past, including the past of five minutes ago, of one minute ago. Anything that is that has already occurred, we're not going to talk about that and just talk about the future. So this is what do you want? So it's not, you know, what injustices have you inflicted upon me this time? It's making that request. What do I want to see going forward? Right. And another important thing to keep in mind, and this is, can be a really simple strategy. You don't need to go read books from Marshall Rosenberg. <clears throat> God damn it. Hold on. <clears throat> you don't need to go read books from Marshall Rosenberg or Terry real or anything like that. But it's, you know, when you're having these discussions with your partner, they're going to say stuff back to you and they, you know, they're going to be talking about, you know, they're, they're, a lot of times they might be uh, defensive, you know, cause they're going to perceive this as criticism and the like. And what do you do with that when they come back? Well, you can give them empathy. And this, like I said, there's a lot of ways to do this. There's like NBC is like a formulaic way of giving empathy and it, it's a really great method, but it can be really simple. You don't need to read that book. So it could be just like, rephrasing back to your partner what it is that they were telling you and, you know, maybe attaching emotion to it. So, you know, the example I give in, in, my, in the book is, you know, let me see if I understand what you're saying. When I went out to eat with my friends at the expensive restaurant, you became worried. You weren't sure if we'd have enough money to pay the rent this month. Is that right? You know, and you can add that question back on the end to give them a chance to... And then they go, yeah, and also this and this and this. So that gives them permission to dig a little deeper. Right, right. And then you just keep doing it and you do it again. And like, okay, so let me see if I got this. And this gives them a chance to, to get off their chest. What it is they're talking about? This gives them a chance to feel like you're, you're listening to them, to be seen and heard, and can really open them up then to the request that you have of them. Be like, oh, okay. Well, now, you know, I've taken the time to really understand where you're coming from. And thank you for sharing that with me. Would you be willing to take the time to understand what it is I'm requesting of you going forward? So, you know, these are pretty, there's, there's complex strategies in here. There's simple strategies in here. I, I throw a whole bunch of them up there. 
and and I'm saying, you know, pick which one that you like, which one speaks to you, which one is easiest for you to implement, mix and match. And even if, you know, you just, you find one of these that works for you, you're going to be in a better place than if you're using the old losing strategies that we talked about, you know, that Terrence Real listed. If you're trying to win the argument, you know, quote unquote, win this, you're going to be a much better place. So I, you know, you don't have to try to do all of these. I don't know that you could, even if, if you did try, cause there's, <laughs> you know, I give you several different ones, but, but, uh, any, any one of them, one or two is going to help you out. And one last time, where can people find this glorious how-to manual on turning arguments into discussions? So discussions.choiceconversations.com will lead you there. So I also have arguments.choiceconversations.com will also take you there. <laughs> they both go to the same place. So Right, right, right. Okay, well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. It was great to have you. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime, Anthony. Excellent. And you at home until next week, be yourself. No, 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 no. Don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it. (laughs) Excellent.